Before mighty Darkseid came to the throne, he searched the universe for the ultimate weapon, the anti-life equation, the key to controlling all life and all will throughout the multiverse. He found it hidden on a primitive planet, but before... The story he... of the Defiance is well known. I have found the primitive planet, the world that fought back. It is Earth. The anti-life equation is carved into the surface of this very world. Are you certain? I have seen it. I have looked with my own eyes. Welcome to the third part of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast. Look at the Batman portion of the DC Universe. How many can die in your arms before you grow numb to death? Listen in as Garrett. Oh, I'm really, really missing Superman right now. Matt. Is it just me, or is it getting crazier out there? And Adam. I'm your best friend. Continue their look at all cinematic incarnations starring the Cape Crusader. They say, if you want to tell a story right, you got to start at the beginning. Included on this leg of the retrospective are reviews of Joker. My life is nothing but a comedy. Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. It took losing something I truly loved for me to see that the target on my back was bigger than I thought. Zack Snyder's Justice League. My lord, I am but your humble servant. The Suicide Squad. <laughs> You're laughing at me for, man. Why the fuck are you in your underwear? Tighty whiteies, really? And Matt Reeves' latest cinematic incarnation, The Batman. He's the only one we didn't get. Keep coming back in the coming months, as the boys will continue their look at each film in the cinematic DC universe, one film at a time. We could watch the whole thing together. Watch what? Everything! All coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. Birds of Prey, released February 7th, 2020. Budget on this was $85 million. Box office, $205.3 million. And this was directed by Kathy Yan. This is one that, I gotta say, you know, I did not watch it before this podcast. I watched it a couple times in preparation for this. I had no idea what I was getting into when I started this thing. But, man, there's so much to talk about. I am once again joined by my colleagues in Prime, the one and only Adam Bunch. Adam, what's going on? Hello. Good evening, everybody. And Mr. Matthew Goudreau. I haven't been able to stop thinking about egg sandwiches since oh, I rewatched this. God, that fucking egg sandwich. <laughs> let, let, let's start with uh, Margot Robbie, star of this movie. Now, I had no idea before I started watching this and I looked into it that this was a pet project from her. Like, this is something she'd been wanting to do ever since yep. Suicide Squad. So, around the time Suicide Squad was getting ready to come out, Warner Brothers immediately said, oh yeah, there's going to be a spinoff with Harley Quinn and some other characters. Margot Robbie was the one who was really pitching it. She said, I want to do like an, a movie where Harley gets friends, was her, her pitch. Not doing a standalone Harley Quinn movie, because she thought that would not be as interesting. So, I guess this speaks to what they thought of her performance in Suicide Squad, that they let her run with this and kind of be the 
the driving force because she was the one who helped finalize the director choice. And they worked on this for about three years before there was any kind of pre-production. So there was a lot riding on her shoulders. And I think they're lucky that, A, Suicide Squad made as much money as it did, despite all the negative reviews, and the fact that I think she was the one thing that got praised across the board. So all of the good luck fell into their favor. So I can't say that doing this movie in the way that they chose to was a bad decision from the start point. I don't know, man. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it, but they didn't make their money back. They needed to make at least 250 to break even. They made about 210 and we'll talk about it, but this came out at a very bad time to make money. But let's talk about the director here, Kathy Yan. Now, I'd never seen this chick's other film, Dead Pigs. I tried finding it. Apparently, it won some Sundance Awards. Yeah. I, I have no idea how this chick got this gig, honestly. Ugh, this this movie boggles my mind. Adam, what was your uh, anticipation level going in? Because I know how big of a uh, Harley Quinn fan that you are. I was excited with the concept of the movie and for those that were attached to it. Uh, I know that Margot Robbie had talked for quite a while about wanting to do a standalone Harley movie. She also talked about how it needs to be part of an ensemble, that she didn't feel that a Harley-only movie was a good idea. And I think this movie kind of reinforces that fact. But the other thing that really kind of had me positive about it was the screenwriter, Christina Hudson, who, to me, wrote the good Transformers movie that has been done, yeah. at least in live action. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah so, me and Matt I, have covered her work before. She did Bumblebee. Yeah. yeah, I think Bumblebee is a, not to, this is meant with, with adoration, not dismissiveness, but I think it's adorable. You know, I think it's a really fun, more open and inviting movie than a lot of the other ones. Um, so that had me excited. The director, I'd heard, you know, the name, and to me, I wasn't surprised they were going this route. It's easy to second-guess it because of how it turned out, but I think DC was going the Marvel method, you know, with their director choice. To me, this is no different than hiring Chloe Zhao for Eternals. You know, somebody had independent success, so let's give them a big-budget movie, whether or not that movie is anywhere in their wheelhouse. And from things that we kind of learned later on, a lot of this movie... And a lot of what's on screen, she wasn't even a part of directing. So that's kind of interesting for how some of this even turned out at the end. But Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, which is a group of characters I like on comic book. I'm a big fan of the old school, God, is it UPN show? I guess it was UPN then. You know, I got that disc with Dina Meyer, Batgirl, and Mia Sarah. So Birds of Prey was something I was quite excited to see come to screen. And then the marketing came. Yeah, the trailers for this. I watched a couple of those trailers for this. That marketing. Yeah, I watched a couple of those trailers for this podcast. And marketing wasn't good. And I think the reason this movie did not make the money that they were hoping it would has a lot to do with the marketing here. Guys, these trailers are awful. Yeah, it's funny because what this spun out of, Suicide Squad, we praised those trailers. Yeah. And I think that is a hope to kind of capture that feel in the trailers. Damn, these are these are bad, man. I mean, really, really bad. Point number one that I want to make is because Harley Quinn, and I, I don't say this just because writers have made her female Deadpool, I categorize her in that camp to where I think she works great in small doses and as a supporting character, and it took a long time for me to warm over to her as a lead, but a lot of that I attribute to the animated show that started right around this time, I think. And I didn't think Robbie, despite giving a very 
game performance, I didn't think that version of Harley Quinn that they came up with was a strong representation of what I personally like about the character. And based on the trailers, it seemed like they were continuing. It was not a soft reboot, unless your name is Jared Leto, which we'll get into. But she looked still up to the part, but between that and the fact that the titular Birds of Prey were barely spotlighted in the trailers, in addition to the plot that I could orchestrate from this, the trailers, didn't really seem like something that I would be excited to go see. I thought it looked very straightforward. I was not crazy about some of the choices they were making as far as portrayals of certain characters that I knew were going to be in this between, you know, Cassandra Cain being much younger than she's typically portrayed. And there were all the reports that Black Mask was going to be gay. And being me, I kind of worried. I didn't want a Mr. Kid and Mr. Wint situation or something too over the top because I had seen that kind of thing go horribly wrong. And between those, the trailers being awful and hell, this, this DC clusterfuck of a property had rebounded for me post-Justice League. I really like Aquaman, and I really like Shazam. Those are the two movies that came out before this. Mm-hmm. So I guess it showed to me that I like WB movies in DC that Zack Snyder does not direct. <laughs> and, and they bring in, again, much much like what Adam was talking about with Marvel, getting a guy like David Sandberg to do Shazam, who had only done two movies, horror movies. This seemed no different to me, but I had not seen Kathy Gann's previous movie, and I was kind of baffled at her choice and everything I was seeing from this production. I could not find Dead Pigs to save my life, because I, I wanted to give this the fair shot. I'm like, okay, what did they see from this girl that made her get this gig? And I tried finding it. I couldn't find it at all. It's won awards, but nobody knows where it is, and that mostly has to do with distribution. I know because I've worked on a few films where it's done well at, on the festival circuit, but once you try to get distribution, for some reason, your little darling just becomes another obscure film that no one sees. I have a feeling that's where this went. So I don't know how Margot Robbie saw this movie. I don't know how other producers saw this and got her on board, but here we are. Unlike me, you guys both saw this in theaters, correct? Yep, yep. it was the last movie I saw before everything shut down. Before COVID. Stay here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was going to ask, because this was out about a month and eight days before everything shut the hell down, and this is the last thing you guys saw in theaters. And, it, and that also probably has a lot to do with what the money that wasn't made with this movie because this is a movie that it needed at 250 to break even and it didn't do that and I, you could say a lot of things advertising and i think some of it had to do with the fear that was going out there in theaters around this time and how much people were not going to theaters wait Garrett, you need to tell me that the fact that this movie was starring women was written by a direct a female directed by a woman that's the reason why it didn't bomb <laughs> We just blew the minds of all the incels on the I'm internet. telling you, now they're all turning it off. <laughs> let's, let's examine why this thing didn't make that much. Huh? Let's, let's go into this movie. So we're starting off knowing that Harley Quinn, of all people, is going to be our unreliable narrator. Now, does she do this at all in the comics? Is she like a narrator of the books? Not really until fairly recently. A lot of this take that we're going to get here, a lot of the characterization, a lot of the feel really has to do with kind of the most recent version that Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti worked on. And quite successful. I think I have issues 0 through 46, 48, if I remember right. So it is a much more playful, and it is kind of narrated, some of them at the beginning, 
is she an omniscient narrator throughout a lot of those books? Eh, on occasion, but it's not something that was really known much. Even the Deadpool movie, and believe me, there's going to be a lot of references to that. That movie kind of took some of that fourth wall break over the top, and now the comics take it even more so. This here, even the time of year that this was released, really seems to want to emulate a lot of what Deadpool did in its massive box office haul. And I think part of that's what they're hoping to, to get with some of this. And it doesn't necessarily sit the exact same way. Yeah, the framework that Deadpool left in 2016 is a window that this movie tries to climb through at every instance it can. I don't particularly like the Harley Quinn that breaks the fourth wall and is at the forefront, like I said. But having read a little bit of that run, what I did like about it was that they were sort of the ones that really took the whole thing of her being independent of the Joker mm-hmm. and her starting her own trajectory as a character. And that run that they did was much more lighthearted and cartoony than a lot of stuff that people had been doing in, in D.C. at that time. It's also where the, the roller derby-esque costume comes from. Mm-hmm. They really emulate that. So while I can't say that I, I love this take, it is owing both to the comics and to the success of Deadpool, which I will give kudos to Warner Brothers for one thing that I think did hurt this movie was the R rating as far yep. as getting people in. Because a lot of little girls, a lot of teenage girls, love Harley Quinn. And it's not like they could drop 10 bucks or 15 bucks to go see this like they would if it was PG-13. She's telling us her life story from when she was a little sperm going into an egg. <laughs> and then uh, we hear that she's been traded for a six-pack of beer when she was a kid. And she's leading us through her toxic relationship with Mr. J and how it all ended. And while she's going through this, we're seeing a ton of animation. So I have to, mm-hmm. so I have to ask, guys, <laughs> where's Jared Leto? Why are we seeing this through the, the eyes series. of animation and not, like, bringing in Leto for a few of these scenes to actually tell us what happened here? I love this in two ways. First, it excises Leto's Joker from this, which I'm pretty dang happy about. Two, I think this homages her creation in the animation medium first. And I think that's a nice little nod if you want to look at it that way. That, you know, let's go all the way back. And it's animated. Where did she come from? Animation. So I think that's just a nice little tip of the hat to Tim and Deanie and everybody that worked on Harley way back then. It's a loving tribute, but I think what this also does is it keeps this movie sort of as self-contained as it can possibly be, given that it's an established continuity. Because with the exception of one quick little gag in the police station, there's nothing that directly ties this to Suicide Squad. So... Mm -hmm. Doing this opening animatic, which I love, is a great way to sort of be a start point for people who may not have seen Suicide Squad. You get every crucial detail that you need is in this opening animation sequence. We're also seeing how she responded, where she ends up blowing up Ace Chemicals. And then uh, as this is going on, we have I Hate Myself for Loving You by Joan Jack going. Boys, I got to say something about this soundtrack. You know, we have a lot of these anthems. We're going to hear Barracuda later for the 80th time. We've heard all of these so many times over the years. They have run out of female anthems to put in these movies. And I, I don't know, man. I'm getting sick of it. Every time I hear these songs, nothing really represents anything for me anymore. I'm just like, okay, I've heard it. Let's move on. What do you guys think of the soundtrack here? 
The soundtrack seems like it's put together by a bunch of dudes sitting in a room trying to come up with girl songs. And it probably was, because I got a feeling that the people that worked on this movie didn't actually choose it. That's just my two cents. Because these songs are every average cliche, as you said, we've heard them over and over and over and over. And if you want to do something different, there's a myriad of artists and songs that you could pull from. I mean, how do you not have L7? Yeah on this, doing, you know, shit list or wargasm, you know, something like that. Um, Hole, obviously, would be a great way to go. Uh, You know, doll parts. I mean, that is Harley Quinn. I mean, this is like getting Guitar Hero Femrock version and just making it a soundtrack. It's kind of disappointing. It's as on the nose as Captain Marvel thumbing just a girl when they got into the third act, you know? It's like, ooh, no, come on. You should want to do better than this. I want to say you are better than this, but clearly they're not. I mean, I got these songs on my iPod, but I've also got a lot more than the exact same ones we've heard in every type of movie this way. I had a comment that Adam, in his monologue, took the just a girl beat for Captain Marvel, which made me cringe so much that I almost sunk into my chair. None of these songs are what I would call inspired choices to accompany what's being illustrated. But in this opening five minutes or so, the thing I do really like that they set up is her hiding the fact that she has broken up with the Joker. Because this is such a great conceit that I don't think anyone's really done, where the reason why she has all this can get away with what she did was because people knew Joker and her were together. So her keeping that disclosed for her own personal safety, I think that's a that's a great choice. And unfortunately, that's the far more interesting part of this story. And I kind of was shocked that I would have been more interested in a solo Harley Quinn movie with her on the run, evading all these people coming for their pound of flesh, versus the actual plot and the birds of prey themselves being in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's also in the midst of all this. She's getting an animated hyena. <laughs> now, she has these in the comics, I understand, correct? She has two of them, and they're named Bud and Lou, after Abbott and Costello. Yeah, and what they ended up doing, they were going to do two, but it cost too much to animate this one. So they're just like, we're just going to do one and settle for that. Uh, it is. I'll tell you this, it's my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> I'll go that far. <laughs> she's uh, She's taking out her anger on the roller derby rink. And she goes to a club and jumps on the driver's legs. I do like the roller, roller derby scenes. I mean, that's really funny to see how Margot Robbie is inhabiting this character by t- just taking out all her anger on these chicks on the fucking roller skating ring. And, we're, and that's going to come back later, too. It's, it comes back in the climax. But um, let, let's talk about Margot Robbie here. There was a big thing that she had in the lead-up to this where, and we mentioned it, I think we did talk about it on that Suicide Squad podcast, where she was very uncomfortable with the way she was filmed in that. And uh, one thing she did, and let's let's not forget, she's the main producer here. She has her own production company. She has done all this herself. One thing she wanted to make sure of, we're, I'm not going to over-sexualize this girl. She is going to be kind of a girl who's in control and not just being filmed from the waist down the way she was when she was in the booty shorts in the Suicide Squad. Boys, how do you feel uh, Margot Robbie is here? She's fine. I find that some of the portrayal a little, I don't know, a little inconsistent throughout not just because of the manic way that this thing is cut and stitched together, but even accent-wise, sometimes it seems spot-on. Sometimes it seems like she is doing a parody of Jersey Shore, Mm. and when people can't keep an accent together, it really distracts and really upsets me. But 
I do like that she's continuing the same Harley Quinn that we had. It's good, not great. I hope for a little more confidence or strong Harley type movie, and that's not the Harley that I think we're getting. Let me ask you this before I go to Matt. Is she better in Suicide Squad than she is here? I would say yes, with the exception of Harley Quinn, nice to meet ya. Hmm. <laughs> that moment on the ele- or on the elevator. Other than that, I like the fact that we're not getting an over-sexualized view. Like, I notice it, and I actually appreciate it. But the rest of the tone around the way she's portraying it, it seems like it's just a half a step off. So my take on this is she does a good job, but she's not reinventing the mold of Harley Quinn, which I think is something that they really should have done to give this incarnation a definitive take in the same way that the TV show has has done that. The movies in this continuity, regardless of your thought, they have their own takes on Batman and Aquaman and The Flash. Here, I don't think there's a definitive stamp. It just feels like a hodgepodge of all the elements we've seen before. But I do appreciate that she's not overly sexualized. I love the costume they come up with. I'm glad they got rid of the cotton candy pigtails, even though she looked absolutely devastated that she cut them off. But I don't think this is reinventing the wheel, but I think she's better here than she is in Suicide Squad. We're then seeing her talk to who's eventually going to be revealed to be Black Mask, played by Ewan McGregor. Now, the last time we reviewed old Ewan, he was playing it all serious in Dr. Sleep. Here, he's seemingly having a lot of fun, and I have to say, I do like him a lot in this movie. How do you guys feel about Ewan McGregor in this? Holy shit, is he fantastic yeah, in this Yeah, he's great. Movie. I am so glad that he took a role like this, where he got to do something different, not just be the stoic hero. This is the only time he's played a villain in a major release. And I have to credit Fargo Season 3 for launching this point of his career, because I think that show, by virtue of playing twin brothers gave him an avenue to show people that he's not just Obi-Wan and he can actually do different things. When I heard he was going to be gay, because that was a big talking point, I was like, oh boy, the fanboys are going to hate this because Black Mask is Mr. Serious in the comics. He's funny in the way that he only laughs at himself, but with that attire and the Doug Minch incarnation, it's pretty straightforward. This is a take that works for me, and I love that he's funny when he needs to be, he's imposing when he has to be, He's clearly deranged, and he doesn't go overboard. Look, him and Zaz are fucking, and they just it's in secret. You can tell this by the way they touch each other and the looks they give each other. It, it's its about as good as you could do. And my thought was, fuck, Ewan McGregor should have played the Joker. We could have avoided all this. Because I think he works really well with Margot Robbie, and I can see in this role, if you change it a little bit, he could play, I think he could play a version of the Joker. Here's my question before I go to Adam. You've mentioned a couple times that he was advertised as being gay. You know, I never saw any of that. Like, where where did all of that come out? I want to say it was on, it was like a pull quote that all the different websites ran with, and nobody explicitly denied okay. it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Adam, what do you feel about you in here, sir? You know, I think one of the first direct messages, threads that Matt and I had, were glowing about how happy we were that Black Mask was in this movie, and it was you and McGregor that was cast. I think we reached out to each other going, can you believe this? Yeah. Isn't this great? Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. I like Black Mask as a character. I was excited that Ewan would be portraying it. And the very, very little that we got leading up to this movie made me even more excited because they didn't really give much. 
and I was excited for it. And I thought that we were going to get, you know, a different type of villain, one we hadn't seen before, but one that because of that, because it's not somebody that has got such household name recognition that they could maybe stretch and make interesting. The way that Marvel's been able to do with their heroes that are C-list, D-list, DC can do with some of these villains that are also C-list, D-list. So I was extremely excited, and yeah, I don't think they could have done better than Ewan. And originally in the script, this was going to be Penguin as the main villain. Yeah, I read that. Which, thank God, because I'm glad we're finally doing Batman villains that have not been in a movie before. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that was my, my mantra as soon as this continuity launched was, I don't want to see Joker, and they said, go fuck yourself, Matt. <laughs> I didn't want to see Riddler, I didn't want to see Penguin, no Catwoman, give me new villains. And look, Batman's got a bunch of A-list villains. Black Mask would captain the minor leagues, like he's B, B+. Yeah. So I, I think choosing him for a movie in this scope, because he doesn't have superpowers, he's not overly megamaniacal like the Joker, he works in this kind of contained story. And finally, we have a Gotham City where they shoot during the day. Yeah. Black Mask, a.k.a. Roman, he tries recruiting Harley, and she's hesitant to reveal the breakup to him. And you know, one thing I notice a lot here, and, man, Yan is filming this with a lot of franticness. What do you guys feel about the directing style here? I was kind of off-put by the amount of quick cuts and some bizarre editing choices. Yeah. I think... They took the fact that Harley Quinn is supposed to be unreliable and use that as an excuse to kind of play around with the chronology. And she's like, oh, I fucked up. Let me let me start this over. I think that's a novel idea if I hadn't seen it done before. And I think they use that as an excuse with the visuals because what they have, the set design in this movie I think is terrific. I love the art direction. I love the look of the clubs. I love the costuming. Everything that's practical to me is great. And I think... That was enough. I don't think they needed to go to this extent with their editing decisions to liven up the movie. Because I think it's it, it speaks for itself in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. I feel like somebody took Crank and Hardcore Henry and threw it in a blender and left the editor at home. Part of it I enjoy, but part of it, and going around this club, and I noticed it so much more this time watching it for this discussion, but when the camera's kind of bouncing around and whipping back and forth, and it's just, it's more off-putting than enjoyable, you know, if it's supposed to get us to feel her manicness, it's not. Great, she's doing this, she's stealing drinks, she's throwing up in a purse. It's not enjoyable to watch, you know, it's just, nah. So what I do like in this montage, so to speak. So, so two things. One of my favorite lines in this movie, I have a PhD, motherfucker. <laughs> but that speaks to what I love about this movie, one aspect, is that this movie remembers that Harley Quinn was a psychologist at one point. Yeah. Because she openly diagnoses Black Mask, where she's like, yeah, I know you don't like me, and later on she gives him the c- cliched psychological evaluation where he's explaining his plan. Mm-hmm. She knows how to read people, which Suicide Squad, they mention it in passing, but they do nothing to explore it. So I do really like that they're emphasizing that aspect of the character. Yeah, and Adam, you mentioned Crank. I thought of Crank a lot in this movie, and for me, that's never a good thing. <laughs> Harley drives a tanker truck right through Ace's chemicals, which doesn't look good for her <laughs> records, as she says. And then we cut to Renee Montoya, played by Rosie Perez. Now, the studio did not want Rosie Perez. They wanted someone way younger. There's a shock. 
But Yan was fast-talking, always showing up in Rosie's corner time and time again, and eventually they caved. Now, I like, I like Rosie Perez, but I haven't seen her since she told Woody Harrelson to put his money where his mouth was when she put that big old thing of money in uh, right between her legs and white men can't jump. It, it's been a long time since I've seen her. But she passes the time here. I think she's okay. You know, I, I, I do like the casting choice eventually. It takes a little while for me to warm up to her. What do you guys feel about Renee Montoya here? I'll take foods beginning with the letter Q. Yeah. At first, I was like, really? You're going to go with, uh, what has she done lately? But I actually like Rosie as Renee Montoya right away. A couple reasons. I like the character of Renee Montoya. I wondered what they were going to do with it. Not too long ago, Montoya actually became the character The Question in comic books. So at this point, there was still the possibility of a DC Dark Universe, you know, and I was wondering how that was going to get set up. It's also one of the few openly gay characters in DC comic books. So I was I was glad that they were bringing the character because I also knew that way we were going to get part of Gotham Central PD without necessarily having to worry about Bullock and Gordon and all of them. And I like Rosie. I think she does a dang good job. I think she looks absolutely amazing. She looks 20 years younger than she actually is. But I think she holds her own here with people considerably younger than her in this movie. I mean, but she's the Glover role, right? She's too old for this shit. But she plays it without just complaining. She's too old for this shit. I think she's one of the bright spots in this movie. I really do. She commits herself very well. It's not that I can't see other people in the role, but I think the fact that with the exception of Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor, there's not really a lot of people that you can sell the movie on. And I think with a character like Montoya or especially Black Canary, I think you need a big a big name in the same way that you get someone like a Robert Downey Jr. to play Iron Man to you know to elevate your B list characters. But I, I wonder if they worried about having someone outshine Margot Robbie, and that's mm-hmm. why everyone else is kind of cast in the way they are. But I, I think she she serves her role well. She's written well. They don't omit the fact that she's a lesbian. It's actually in the movie. So good job and representation far more than Marvel has ever given us up to this point. So bravo. But the Birds of Prey themselves, So th- this is the thing that irked me as a fan. How do you do the Birds of Prey and not have Barbara Gordon? That's like doing the Avengers without Captain America or Iron Man. She's the linchpin of that group. Harley Quinn has never been a member of the Birds of Prey in the comics whatsoever. To me, this seemed like they really wanted to make a Gotham City Sirens movie. Yes. Which is, Garrett, that is Catwoman, Harley, and Poison Ivy as a trio, where they, you know, commit crimes on their own. It seemed like they wanted to make that movie, but instead they turned it into this and just chose characters for name value. But in a way, this is not Birds of Prey. In spirit, in execution, they should have just called this movie Harley Quinn and the Fantabulous Emancipation, because calling it Birds of Prey, I think, is is not accurate. We didn't get one of my most what-the-fuck what moments. We're seeing this fucking food porn of Harley just loving this sandwich, right? One of her big things is she needs to have this sandwich. And I do have to say, you know, once they show this thing being made, this fucking sandwich does look pretty damn good. And Harley's then being chased by Renee. But the sandwich falls, and we have this all the slow-mo of the sandwich just falling as she's... Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> does she eat a lot in the comments? Is that a big thing? That's heartbreak is what that is, because that sandwich looks fucking it delicious. It does look amazing. Although if I knew that the cheese slices were six months out of date, I would take my chances somewhere else. That's disgusting. But I love that we're seeing a bright Gotham City, although they never really say this takes place in Gotham. You just have to know that Ace Chemicals is in Gotham City. But when she runs into the 
all the different people she runs into, and they do the, oh, what did I do to piss this guy off? And they, they freeze it, and they'll show, like, in writing. To me, that that's a good way to make this kind of a sequel to Suicide Squad, because they did that for the introductions. Exactly. All, yep. all 8,000 8, of them. <laughs> that, to me, is a, a gag that they use throughout this movie that works every time. So once the sandwich goes flying, she's like, oh, fuck this. And she ends up doing the calculated move of just jamming out. And then we didn't meet Happy, who's upset over what Harley and Joker did to his face. And this is a lot of what you just mentioned, Matt. They show the writing over there. It's on him. And then they actually show the interrogation with no Leto, by the way. <laughs> of, yep, she has the, body, the back shot and a body yeah. double. That's all you get. <laughs> yep. Of what Harley and Joker did to, did to him. And I, I want to say this, something about this movie right now. Your enjoyment of it lives or dies on how you're feeling about the energy being portrayed here. And I have to say, I'm not hating it. There are a few things I am actually chuckling at. I'm making jabs, but at the same time, I'm not hating. But this energy is tough to keep up, and it's around this time, boys. It gets to be a little too much. This is a movie where some of the parts are better than the Mm -hmm. whole. Where I think the first act of this movie, the first 30 minutes, is terrific. The problem is you can't sustain that level of energy for 100 minutes. A lot of that is attributable to the the other characters that have to be introduced. But all the stuff with Harley during open season is both energetic and, like I said earlier, it's a a fun way to take this character with what you've set up with her blowing up these chemicals and everyone being aware of this. And every time they, they cut to either a new character or they cut back to the MacGuffin of the movie, it just feels like tonally nothing quite meshes. And like I said, with the with the Gothic Sirens, it really feels like this is three different movies that they were forced to condense into one. So Harley picks up a penny, and then we see Happy just get hit by an arrow from the crossbow of one Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which, oh boy, I could have used way more of her in this than we get. <laughs> oh my god, and she's gone for I so know. long that when she, when she comes back, I was like, oh, I forgot you were actually in this movie. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. she is pitch-perfect casting, in my opinion. I know she's not a big name. She should be, if you look at her ability and what she's done in the past. But I've been wanting to see Huntress for the longest time. Look, Nolan never had an avenue to do it, so I don't blame him for not using Huntress. But with what we get here, it's good, and it's always good when they leave you wanting more. But there's so little to grab onto that it feels like a wasted opportunity. You know, Matt, you do have on the schedule, I don't know when, for in the next couple of years, we're going to be covering Die Hard. And the more I think about it, that's like the last time I really saw her was I think it was she had like a cameo in Die Hard 5. And I know she was in Fargo, right? Fargo season three or something. Yeah. Well, let's remember, she's married to yeah, McGregor. Yeah, she's married to Ewan McGregor, and they met on Fargo. They, they met on that set, but... Before that, she did 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, that's she right. She was the yeah. character in that. You know, she's terrific in that. I really liked her in Swiss Army Man when you see mm-hmm. her. You know, she's great. She, she reminds me a lot of Sarah Michelle Gellar. She can be funny. She can be your, your kick-ass action hero. And I've been waiting for her to get this kind of role, but I was like, fuck, that, that's all you're going to do with her? Yeah. My first thought was, man, if Garrett ever gets around to watching this movie, he's going to be excited that she shows up. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I know how you feel about Winston. I was excited to see Huntress. It's a character that I like. It's a character that you can you can play a lot of different ways. I mean, she could be a complete, over-the-top, more extreme version of Batman, which is, depending on the comic you read, which is, is what she is. You know, she's Batman, but she'll kill. Or you go alternate universe where she's the spawn of Batman and Catwoman, which is, you know, the way that they did it in the Birds of Prey, the way they've done it in the comics recently in Batman Catwoman. 
which is funny because the one movie you guys didn't mention is my favorite of hers, which is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yeah. Or she's one of flowers. I love her yeah, in that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that one eventually. Yep, but I think she's great. I think she plays uncomfortable so very well in this. And, yeah, we could have used a lot more of her in this film. And it's it's kind of a tragedy that she's not in it at least 50% more than what she is. Yeah, and she does have my favorite line in the movie, which comes up later. Much later, because we don't see her for another fucking hour or whatever after this scene. Uh <laughs> But, yeah, I definitely could have used more of her. We cut to Montoya, who's talking to her boss, complete with a I shave my balls to be here shirt. <laughs> uh, that did not work for me. She talks about how important it is for her to get her hands on the Bertinelli diamond. But her partners are upset at her, and she gets a call from Black Canary, who tells her that the diamond is with a kid named Cassandra Kane. Meanwhile, Harley comes to the police station and attacks with beanbags and confetti? Ugh. This right here, the first time that I saw this, I thought that what we saw was a manic episode from Harley. It was her vision of how she saw it, which I was like, okay, this is a cool way that she's killing everybody, but she sees glitter and kind of what James Gunn does with her that we're going to talk about later. But that's not actually what happens. So when I realized that she's actually going in here and she is really using beanbags, it kind of pisses me off because you either decide that you're going to go R-rated psycho with this movie or since there is no discernible reason that this movie is PG-13 other than you have to say fuck every 30 seconds, just make it PG-13. Just make a decision. And half measures is part of why this movie is a half measure in its execution because of stuff like this. It looks cool. It is shot pretty dang excitingly. I know that this is one of the scenes shot by Chad Stahelski. Mm-hmm. From John Wick, that <laughs> um, was the next fact, point. Yeah. Yep, all those great action scenes in this movie, one of the, which we're probably going to compliment, that's who did shoot those. So it looks pretty badass, but it completely takes away from if Harley was going in here to do this, especially with what we learn on it, she'd go in there shooting. That's who she is. So... Uh, it falls flat for me now so much more. Yeah, the only way to get around this is if you established, like, sh- in her new quest for self-worth, she's like, oh, I'm going to take a page out of Batman's book and not and not kill. Yeah. Or at least not kill openly, as we've, we've talked about Murder Man with Ben <laughs> Affleck previously. So, uh, and look, he punched her in the face, so all bets are off when it comes to her and Batman. <laughs> But you're right about, I thought this was going to be like a hallucination sequence based on the, the way it's shot in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it's playful, but it makes these cops just look so buffoonish. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense, because it's Gotham City and Batman has to do everything. And it's also everybody with a dick in this movie is buffoonish or evil. Yeah, he's not wrong. No, he's not. I mean, I hate to put that on Front Street, but every cop that she shoots is a male cop, because every male in this movie is despicable by the end mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, and you guys mentioned you thought maybe this is a hallucination, and Matt, I thought the same thing, because apparently we've made a pact on this site to cover all of Margot Robbie's resume. We'll get to focus eventually. 
No. Uh, but, but Matt, you and I are going to be covering Wolf of Wall Street, and there's a scene where DiCaprio's character thinks that he's actually done something really heroic, and he's actually driven in the car as he's getting home, but we come back and we find out that the car's actually been all beat up. And I thought that was going to be kind right. of a similar reveal here, where, yeah, she is attacking with beanbags and confetti, but then, like, later on, we're going to see all these dead bodies or something, you know? They, they, you're right. They yeah. pull their punches. But I'll, I'll say this much. You know, I know this was kind of taken out of Yan's hands. They gave this to Stats Stahelski for these scenes. But I'm going to be praising these scenes. I, I think the stunts in this movie are actually pretty damn good. Yeah, I have no problem with the fight choreography no. or, or anything like that. So credit whoever you may. I think there's a lot of people that kind of salvage this movie to make it at least watchable. Because when I hear all the, not infighting, but the changes... Mm-hmm. Seemed like, you know, WB, once again, too many cooks in the kitchen. You'd think they learned their lesson at this yeah. point, but I guess not. It's amazing that this movie is not a Suicide Squad-level disaster. And I think that was very much on Margot Robbie's mind as she was making this. And again, we mentioned the stunts and the choreography. That fucking cartwheel kick. Badass. But this isn't what Harley wants to say because she wants to go back and tell the backstory of this. So we cut a few days ago. And can I say, you know, when this is done well, I like it. But I hate the way it's done in this movie. The way we're going forward with the scene all of a sudden. Oh, wait, no. I want to tell you exactly what happened here. I mean, what do you guys feel about the frantic cutting and the way this story is told? I don't think it was planned that way. I don't think it was written to be out of sequence. Really? I think it was edited that way later, and I think it shows in the result. Just because of how choppy and uneven it feels with the way that it's done. I think there is some really good, smart, good ways to do it. It's kind of like the difference between Deadpool and Deadpool 2. You can do it one way, and it's funny. You could do it the same stuff, do it a different way, and it turns out pretty damn crappily. And this, unfortunately, is on the latter. You know, I usually don't mind it, but, man, this just seems ham-fisted, and it seems like something that was done well after the fact, not planned as the movie was going. Interesting. This feels like a way to beef up the fact that this plot is just a big MacGuffin hunt. Mm -hmm. We need to get around that by making stuff be shot out of sequence to make this seem like it's more chaotic than it actually is. We go to the Black Mask Club where we meet Dinah Lance, who prefers Black Canary in a singing on stage. And then we also see Sionis. He's saying, fuck family to the head of the Golden Lions, who replies that he doesn't need Roman's protection. Matt, was I the only one who thought this was kind of a jab at Vin Diesel? <laughs> no, I, I think McGregor is taking a dig at Trump. Oh, yeah where he is on his own, ran his family's company into the ground, is trying to make a new name for himself, self-absorbed, narcissistic. I think that's very much at the forefront, but it works, and it helps that, as far as stepping out of sequence, we already know he kills this guy, his entire family, Mm -hmm. so we know he's going to speak already. And I love how Vini is early on, where he's like, oh my God, is that a snot bubble? Oh, I changed my mind, kill her. Which, (laughs) with the moment, Christian and I were watching this, he starts laughing. They go, honey, what's so funny? He goes, when did you and McGregor find the time to raid your closet? And I was very uncomfortable that he borrowed my stuff. That's amazing. And we're, we're taught, we've been praising him a lot, but I, I still have to say this is another one of my favorite moments from McGregor when he's just like, who's having a good time, eh, as he's walking through this club? Fucking glorious stuff. Now, this chick who plays Black Canary, I, I guess she was in Full House years ago. I'm sorry, I don't like her. I just feel like she has zero presence in this. Yeah, she's there. 
the bad thing now is, unfortunately, with everything that's gone on with her brother, yeah. I can't get past any of that. And her staunch, staunch over the top attacking everybody who wants to see him brought to justice. I can't get past that shit at this point. Yeah. She's fine. When she fights, I think it's pretty dang cool. Like so much of this, she's kind of just, she's right there. Mm-hmm. They told me she's Black Canary, so she's Black Canary. It's amazing how phenomenal of a child actor she was, because she did a movie called Eve's Bayou. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, she is so yeah. fucking... Like, that's like the female Haley Joel Osment in Sixth Sense, where you're like, this is the standard for child acting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened if she forgot how to act as she grew up, but she is entirely window dressing. She's defined, oh, she can sing, she looks good, and she can fight. And to me, this is much like another character that we're going to talk about very soon. And when I say we, mostly Adam, based on our prior conversation. (laughs) There's nothing about the Black Canary character of Dinah that I can pull from outside of her superpower. Like, that's the only link between who this character is in the comics and who it's being portrayed as here. And I thought for sure we were going to get a Green Lantern, or not not Green Lantern, Green Arrow, either cameo or name drop, because they're married in the comics. Mm. Harley calls Joker Puddin' and tells Dinah that they broke up while saying it's great with tears in her eyes. Harley then gets taken out back, and while making out with a guy, he drags her to a car, and Black Canary comes for a fight and helps Harley out. Sionis, meanwhile, sees the fight and calls Zaz over and says, that's our little bird. Sionis ends up recruiting Dinah to drive him around, and then she's interrogated by Renee to no avail. Sionis, he gets upset that four of his guys got killed by someone with a crossbow, and he responds with frustration at not owning all the crossbows, saying, I like crossbows! (laughs) (laughs) It's those little moments like that. He is so good here. Why can't I? I like crossbows. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> I can't fucking maybe snort. Like, he is so delightful he, to watch in this role. We cut to pickpocket Cassandra Kane, and she gets told by Dinah, sooner or later you're going to pick the wrong pocket, and little does she know that she got the diamond. This cast on a wrist. What happens to her? Like, I know we get... What, what is this character? What, what are they trying to do with this? So... In this movie, yeah, she's Cassandra Kane, pickpocket, and that's kind of all they gave to her. It's really unfortunate because Cassandra Kane, one of my favorite characters in comics, I have graded editions of each of her appearances as Batgirl. This is the first character to ever have a standalone Batgirl title was Cassandra Kane. I have her as Black Bat, have that graded. I have her as Orphan, I have that graded. This is the child of Kane, with later revealed to be David Kane, and Lady Shiva. This is Lady Shiva, the most deadly woman in the DC universe. This is her daughter, who was restricted from speech and interaction with people and taught to be an assassin from the time she was born. She has very, very minimal speech because her speech is that of a killer Her language is assassin. Her language is body language of reading people. She has taken down Batman on more than one occasion. She is one of the characters that DC could do the most with, and they were for a while, and they totally started just fucking the roost again and giving her nothing to do. But the Cassandra Kane in the comic books has nothing whatsoever at all all other than maybe ethnicity to do with this character. That is it. 
I don't fault the woman who plays her, Ella, not her fault whatsoever. But why, why you take Cassandra Kane other than you were hoping to get somebody like me and turn it into this nothing of a character is unfucking excusable. Mom, can I come out from under the covers now? <laughs> <laughs> this to me, not to try to top what my co-host just said, but I can't think of another example of a more egregious case of we just took a name and used it strictly to get people in the door. She is not a character. She is the literal MacGuffin of this movie. Yep. We don't know her backstory. We don't know what she wants. We have no read on her, and I don't blame the actress like Adam said, but she is an absolute empty vessel. She might as well be a literal diamond <laughs> with the way everyone wants to come after her. And it is absolutely infuriating if you're a fan of this character that this is what they did. And, and people, like, again, this is more bullets in my gun of, well, the Mandarin wasn't really that bad, people. <laughs> like, you could have had this. <laughs> the thing, it's like they went, wait, who's it? Oh, we have to have that girl. And somebody went, no, 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 you are not allowed to use Barbara Gordon. Fine. There's no way that this Cassandra Kane becomes Batgirl, though. There is not a line where that happens. Pull Stephanie Brown. Get yourself a techie that can do this, because then you can at least, you can get her father in two as another villain. This is so fucking mis- Ah, fuck. I want to know who laid this down, because there is no fucking way that Christina Hobson decided that she was going to make this character Cassandra Kane. This is one of the reasons I think that Jeff Johns has turned into be the fucking David S. Goyer of the DC Films universe. Let's not forget who's the main producer here. I mean, it could have gone through so many different places, and it could have been stopped, but it went through. Yep. I think there are a lot of people to point the fingers at here. I am. <laughs> I'm sure you are doing so with all of them. We then see Cassandra swallowing the diamond, a complication that Harley just doesn't need right now. And Sionis, he's upset that the diamond was taken by a kid, and Zaz tells him that he's going to get Roman his, di his diamond back. We cut to Harley... He's being interrogated by Roman, and we get a backstory of the two of them, which involves her making his life a living hell. He tells her without the Joker around, he can just go ahead and kill her, and she says that she can get the diamond back if he lets her go. Nude Eleanor Roosevelt? Really? Yeah, but this is Harley Quinn, the non-sequiturs, yeah. the stream of consciousness jokes. This is a, a good representation, but what's the cheap joke they go for because she's a woman? They pull a tampon out of her back yeah. pocket. We then get to her imitating what people of our generation probably think of as Madonna's material girl. But no, this is actually Marilyn Monroe that she's imitating here. <laughs> yeah, this is, and they literally, it's the exact yeah. dance sequence from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. I, lo I love when they do I that do with too. Harley Quinn. She'll go off in her own headspace because mm -hmm. um, she got openly pimp slapped upside the head. But when I talk about the art direction, I love the... There's like that one spotlight, so you only see the hands in the in the back before it cuts to this sequence, and they, they use red. I'm like, guys, I know you have McGregor's here, but you don't have to make this a sequel to Moulin Rouge. <laughs> um, that's all I can think of. When, and, and this is a Joker thing where someone's going to get killed, and he sits down and eats popcorn. He's wearing like a pinstripe suit that you could see the Joker wearing, too. Mm -hmm. To me, this is what 
I wanted though and why I thought of the earlier sequence in the police station. You know, she gets slapped, and it, as you said, she goes into her own headspace. And you get this little action sequence done to the gentleman prefer blonde sequence, like exactly. And this is the manicness the movie should be. When we don't know exactly what's going on, it should be more of this. And it's too bad that there's so little of it, because when this happens, it's damn good. Roman says that he will give her until midnight to get the diamond back, and she says in voiceover, Call me old-fashioned. I always thought the guy was supposed to give the girl the diamond. We get back to where we left off, as Harley is taking over the police station, and Renee is still talking to Black Canary in her I shaved my balls for this t-shirt. And she disables the, the sprinklers, only to have them turn on, and she enters the facility to break out Cassandra Kane. We get a fight in water, and we get a weird takedown in slow motion. But I did like that kind of like the wrestling takedown that they do that she does here. This fight is it's badass. And yeah. the reason I really love it is you have Margot Robbie and Harley Quinn fighting in a drenching rainstorm of sprinklers, right? So you get the wet t-shirt contest type mm-hmm. of fight without it being overtly sexualized. And this is when I think that female director really matters. Because if it was somebody else, the only thing that it would be would be flip, titty shot. Flip, ass shot. Flip, titty shot. And here, it's just a badass action scene with her looking fantastic, but is not there just for eye candy. And it works so fucking good. This scene is great. It would have been the scene at the end of Batman Begins where all you see is Katie Holmes's nipples. Uh, <laughs> I know the scene. <laughs> but yeah, this is great, and this is where it turns into 80s pro wrestling because here comes the cocaine. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Cassandra and Harley, they run into another mob, and they get everything from bowling balls to the nuts to Harley taking them out with a bat that she finds. And uh, I do love this move where she bounces the bat off the ground and hits him in the face. That's just fun stuff. And, again, that's got to be from Chess to Helsky here. I'm audibly gasping while watching this sequence. Mm-hmm. So many times it's just, ooh, oh, yeah. oof. You might as well t- turn this into 66 Batman and throw, mm-hmm. you know, freaking sound effects up on screen. Because it's, yeah, it's that engaging. They kind of do in the climax. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. She hides behind cocaine, which gives her a lot of energy. (laughs) All of this is great fun, and as you guys have said, it's probably my favorite part of the film. Harley then gets some help from Cassandra as she throws her a lighter, which Harley uses to light a thug's beard. And then she kicks her phone into Renee's face and drives off. That's a great scene. She just takes the phone, just kicks it in her face. Cassandra, meanwhile, she throws dynamite into a car, and Harley tells her that she has a half a million dollar price on her head. And then Cassandra tells Harley that she can't give her the diamond because she ate it. So we cut to Harley taking her to the grocery store to get laxatives. Basically anything to make her shit. Oh boy. I cannot believe we're anticipating when this girl's going to fucking shit. Mm. It's a choice. It's that. Harley tells Cassandra if she tries to run, she will kill her. She doesn't care if she's a kid. And then Cassandra responds with questions on how to be like Harley. She then says that paying is for dummies, and then they take the cart outside, and then they go see Doc, who Harley calls the only person who actually cares about her. Who is this Doc character? She Is he in the comics, too? No. At least if so, it's not one that I know of. The building owner that I know from comics is pretty much the same guy that's played by Jason Alexander in the early uh, animated series. No, I don't know of Doc from anything else, but he, I mean, he seems a knowledgeable 
person. I know he makes reference to knowing about Cassandra already, and so he's he's got his ear to the ground. Mm-hmm. She tells Cassandra that nothing gets guys' attention like violence. Interesting line there. And then Cassandra finds Harley's hyena. Cassandra reveals that she doesn't know who the Joker is, but when Harley gives her all the nicknames he's been called, Cassandra responds with, he sounds like a dick. Is this a dab at Leto? <laughs> oh, this is yes. absolutely yeah. a, a, not, not a pot shot. This is an open palm to the face. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Jared Leto, because this is Gotham City. Everybody and their mother knows about the Joker. Mm-hmm. Huntress shows up at Doc's place, and we cut to the Huntress's backstory, which I really couldn't care less about. Like, does this have any place in this story? Other than being the reason why she's here uh-huh. in the first place, yeah. it's the only way that you could have her be in the climax and have it remotely make sense. Good point. Roman gets upset at somebody for laughing at him and tells her to get on the table and dance. Meanwhile, Renee gets ratted on and fired from her job as a cop. Going to this Roman character, you know, we, we've mentioned before that McGregor's doing great things with this character, but this is the point here where I think we're supposed to hate him, right? Because now he's gone from being, okay, somebody we can kind of laugh at and call, okay, you're a funny bad guy, to, oh, shit, he's a real douchebag. Let's not forget, part of his introduction was slicing the throat of a teenage girl. That's true. So I don't think you're ever supposed to like him, but... I should also mention that parts of this character we've technically covered. They took elements of his backstory and used it for Sharon Stone's character in Catwoman. No shit. Because his family's industry is cosmetics. And under his watch, they made a facial cream that scarred women. Oh, wow. See, guys? Everything matters. Yeah, and that and that's pretty sure that's from his very first run okay. as a character. They've done other stuff with him, but... He's also one of the only major Batman villains who was never in the animated series. Hmm. It wasn't until The Batman where they did him. He was voiced by uh, James Remar. Even in Gotham, his father is seen for like two episodes. That's it. Like I said, I'm glad they picked him because if they chose Penguin, I would have been disappointed to the highest degree. Harley and Cassandra, they get visited by the Gotham police. Harley's place gets shot up and Bruce, her hyena, is nowhere to be found. She goes to Doc, who is leaving to open a new restaurant, saying that it's just business. The one nice guy we thought in this whole thing, and he took the money to turn her yeah. in. So even Doc, just nothing but another piece of shit, mm-hmm. dude. Good point. That's what we call a swerve in wrestling. <laughs> it was me, Austin. It was me all along. Speaking of business, that's exactly what Harley's thinking here, as she calls Roman and tells that she has the kid, and also says to meet her at the booby trap. Renee is drowning her sorrows and starts calling Dinah, who has Zaz in the car. He then sees a phone and calls Roman and tells him that he has been betrayed. And this is when he means business because we get this long-ass shot of him putting on a mask. So this is a big thing with Black Mask, right? All these masks and things. Yeah, and in the comics, it's burned onto his face. Oh, wow. Yep. Which I thought we were going to do in this movie. I did, too. I thought by the end of it we were going to see him get that permanently affixed to his face. Mm. Harley locks Cassandra in the bathroom, telling her to go to the restroom, and she gets visited by a drunk Montoya, and then we have a cat fight. Renee locks Harley to her, and then she gets really pissed when Renee kills her sandwich and kicks her out the window. Meanwhile, Dinah shows up with Zaz and unlocks Cassandra from her straps as Victor intimidates Harley. Now, Zaz we saw in Batman Begins, right, Matt? Yeah, it's a non-speaking Yeah, it's a, it's a tiny character, but we've seen this character before. He's a mainstay in Gotham. Yeah. They do some cool stuff with him. I like Chris Messina in this role. I didn't know it was him. I didn't either. Looking at him. Yeah. No. 
Zaz is a, he's the ultimate easel. There's a lot of Batman villains where you can just do whatever the fuck you want because he's just a serial killer with a gimmick. Much like Black Mask, he's just a mobster with a gimmick. They might as well be pro wrestling for certain Batman villains. I think this is a great take on him, and I'm highly disappointed that they killed him off. Yeah. Zaz then puts a gun to Dinah's head and tells her to cut Cassandra open. Huntress shows up, and then they take out Zaz. And then with another one of my favorite bits of the movie, a still messed up Harley, who's been tranquilized, is trying to stab Victor after he goes down. (laughs) She just doesn't have the energy to do so. Margot Robbie plays that so well. Yep. Stabby, stabby. Stabby, stabby. I love it, too. It's like when Toya comes in, hardly stop it. She gets one Yeah, one more. In. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, those are the cute little moments that make mm-hmm. you laugh. Cassandra holds everyone up herself, and everyone else gets in on the act. And then Harley tells Huntress Bravo for finishing her revenge tour. And this is when Siona shows up with his clan. So Harley concludes that they're going to have to work together to take out Roman. I like this bit of Harley not having guns where she thinks they are, but they find like a whole treasure chest of them. It's weird, though, because you would think then that this would be Joker's fun life. Yeah, it seems like it. huh? I thought of that. You know, we, we watched Killing Joke a few weeks ago, and I'm thinking, wow, this kind of reminds me of that place. She knows to go there. She knows where the weapons should be. So it's kind of like that's exactly what it is, but they just refuse to call it that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's a reason that they won't do so, but that's to me that's what it feels like here. Roman gives one more pep talk before they attack. What's this shirt that Harley says has sentimental value? What is this? Is this an Easter egg? When she grabs a shirt and she's like, no, not that one. That one has sentimental value. She, she tells her not to wear one, and it's the, it's the shirt, the daddy's little monster that she wore in Suicide Squad. Oh. Um, but then the bustier that Montoya gets, is kind of like another outfit that we see a lot of Harley in the comics and Arkham games. Okay, gotcha. I knew you guys would knew that. <laughs> Huntress gets upset that she's being told she has rage issues, and the fight is on. It's not a fucking crossbow! <laughs> <laughs> she is so damn She's great. Good. They head down to a funhouse, because of course they do, and my God, how many times are we going to hear Barracuda in a movie? <laughs> Was in this the second Margot Robbie movie? It said because they play an icon. Yeah, I thought of that too. Yeah, good point. And it's too bad because it fits here, and I love how kinetic this scene is. The song feels the the easy way mm-hmm. out. You know, that's all. I don't hate it when I'm watching it, but when I go back and think about it, I'm like, ah, you know what? Just just go through the list one more time and find something that would make it stand out a little more. You know, just a little more original. But this action scene is fun. It's kinetic. I love the camera moves. I love the little things like Black Canary whipping around and then being given a hair tie. Mm. And she ties her hair back. It's like, oh, great, thanks. Little stuff like that. The female touch of those kind of things are great. And that's what's been missing in so many other little moments. Yeah, this fight's a lot of fun. Everyone else fighting in their own style, including Harley with her mm-hmm. roller derby skills. we got to bring those back. I'm enjoying this hand. And, and even, like, the big-ass hands that they're fighting around, like, even that's, like, just a fun visual. It's stupid, but Oh, it's, it's fun. funny as fuck. This is their, also their way to get their tribute to the Adam West Batman in. Yeah. With these over-the-top set pieces. I mean, they might as well have onomatopoeia words whenever someone gets hit with that hammer. <laughs> but for, yeah. for a movie that kind of drags up until this point, for most of the second act, this is a good jolt back into excitement. The movie loses me once Cassandra King gets introduced uh, with the diamonds, but this third act or so kind of wins me back. They go deeper in, and they end up grabbing Cassandra. And my God, it took long enough for Black Canary to use this damn voice of hers, didn't it? 
fuck, we got to build it up. Like I know, like we saw her singing and breaking a glass earlier, so we're we have been building up this entire film. But couldn't they have led with this? <laughs> Start the fight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, I do think it's cool. I love Harley getting a boost out of mm-hmm. it. So I think it was really cool when it happened. It was finally like, oh, oh yeah, kind of moment. Like I was happy to see it. I don't know why it knocks her out because I've never known Black Canary to not be able to walk past doing the sonic scream or the canary cry but it's a choice mm-hmm. but this little roller skate scene on the street <laughs> again just fun yeah we cut to harley just getting slammed while on roller skates like she's riding roller skates here comes a car boom this rams right into her huntress shows up to give her a ride and like you said adam this whole bit in the car this is all fun stuff and this is all stahelsky stuff this is john wick shit right here which you know i'm not knocking i think it's fun and by the way i always love seeing people's heads getting slammed into horns and they honk like that's like one of my favorite bits in any movie so it <laughs> makes me laugh every single time matt how are you feeling about the car chaser there's one thing i dislike in dc movies it's unnecessary car chases <laughs> Thankfully, this one's actually integral to the plot to a certain extent. So I'm not going to come down on this part whatsoever. Harley takes off her skates, and they wander into Founder's Pier. Is that a reference to anything or no? Uh, nothing emphatic. No. There's been Founder... I want to say there's been Founder's... There's Founder's Island in Arkham Knight. Okay. But it's weird, because there's these like statues there and we've seen mask Roman, you know, have all these statues and masks back at his place. And it seems like something else was supposed to be going on here that didn't happen. It's, it's just weird. It seems like there should have been some kind of connection earlier. We see a, a statue of himself that doesn't look like himself, you know, that he, that he gets made fun of for. It seems like they decided to cut this a little weird. We have a creepy fog environment as Roman tells her that you need me, and she compares his tactics of having people on those of Joker by saying that the, all these tactics are are made of fear. He is then shown to have Cassandra as a hostage, and she apologizes for trying to sell her as it to her it was a dick move, as she says. Cassandra gets in on the apology act and says that she's sorry because she took Harley's ring. This ends up being a grenade ring, and this is what causes Roman to explode. Um. So I was disappointed they killed him off, but what a great... It's a great death. Yeah. Yeah. This brought me back to, like, the 80s when Stallone puts the guy in the meat hook in Cobra and puts him into the incinerator. I miss these gruesome, extravagant ways to kill off your big villains. And in an era where Marvel, because they're Disney and PG-13, they can't really do that, DC said, all right, we're going to literally blow someone to pieces with a grenade. Yep. Identically, I was like, I was so disappointed to see him go, but man, what a way to go. They go get tacos, hoping like hell this causes a diamond to finally come out. Renee apologizes to Harley for underestimating her, and then we cut to Harley and Cassandra in the car as they've stolen the diamond. Montoya is revealed to have quit the force. Huntress is shown to have her crime-fighting ring back. How did this happen? Like, did Harley share this diamond? How does Huntress all of a sudden have her crime-fighting ring back? Or dorky do-gooders, as Harley calls them. Uh, it's just weird. Yeah, I mean, you don't get it spelled out. What did she already have all the info? Yeah. To, you know, because there's bank account numbers encoded in the diamond. You know, we're going back to Gustav Graves. Uh, mm. <laughs> I, 
another day etching diamonds. Yeah, either she already got the accounts and it was set up and just wanted the diamond bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unclear. By the way, one of my friends, he, he always points out every single one of our podcasts. He goes, you guys cannot go one podcast without mentioning Bond, by the way. <laughs> 27 <laughs> movies, people. 27. <laughs> Harley pawns the diamond and then reveals that she found Bruce the Hyena. I was I was happy to, that they found Bruce. I was hoping that he hadn't died in that fucking explosion. I, I hate when I see dogs die in movies, So, or this is a hyena, but you know what I'm saying. This was fun to actually see this thing back. And then says that she ended up making the kid her apprentice as she finally gets her hand on the perfect breakfast sandwich and credits roll on Birds of Prey. All right, final leg of the film. Uh, Matt, anything to add? No, it's a darn good climax for... A movie that really doesn't have much in the way of story. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue into our final thoughts. Cielo, 1 to 10, what do we give Birds of Prey? Matt, you go ahead and go, sir. This movie was something that I really enjoy as I'm watching it. The bookend are the, the parts that I get the most enjoyment out of. The middle of this movie with Cassandra Cain, a lot of it has to do with me being a comic book fan, but I find it to be meandering and not really much of an exploration in the way of Harley. And that's where I think they're kind of straining to satisfy all the different camps that they have to do, given the property that this is named after. The cast comes to play. There's no one in this movie that I can say was objectively terrible. And the plot's about as you know messy as the titular character's psyche. While I think that's intentional on the part of the writer's, I can't give them a pass because of how some of their stylistic choices, I think, are trying to overcompensate for a story that, even at 100-plus minutes, doesn't quite reach the finish line at a sprint. It's kind of a jog once you get to a a certain point. So, Birds of Prey, it's a something you'd flock to go see if you want to enjoy yourself and kind of turn your brain off. So, all in all, it's performing feminism. In the same way that there's that pandering sequence in Avengers Endgame, I think that it's not entirely genuine. It's not quite a perfect, non-male-gazy type of representative movie. But all in all, it's better than what I thought it was going to be, because my expectations were pretty low based on those trailers. My final verdict is, I think this is a good movie. It's a good time. Cosmetically, it looks great. I can't say enough good things about Ewan McGregor. But I think there was a way to fine-tune this and make it even better. This could have been DC's Guardians of the Galaxy, more so Volume 2, because I I like that one considerably more. As it stands, it's perfectly fine, but I don't think it quite fulfills its potential. So I'm going to land on, you know, I had a score written down, but I'm leaning towards going one notch higher. I'm going to give it a a very soft 7 on 10. I had a 6 written down, but I I think it's better than average. 7 from Goudreau. Adam? Birds of Prey is one of those movies where Matt, you know, encapsulated a lot of my feeling as well there, so thank you, where I have fun with this movie in spite of itself a lot. It looks great. The production design, the casting, very, very well done. The script itself, messy. The editing to this movie, messy as shit. The action sequences, very engaging. Some of the better ones we've seen in superhero movies. 
they don't slow down most of the time in this one. They have a few slow-mo shots, but Zack Snyder's kind of pissed that they're not doing it every three moves. The characterizations of a lot of them here, the characters we get, the actresses that play them, you know, Margot Robbie comes to play. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is, God, I wish we had more of her. It's sad that this movie tanked. I mean, it's unfortunate, but this movie did not do well. And I don't think we're going to see a follow-up to it, but I would love to see her specifically back as Huntress. Ewan McGregor is delightful as Black Mask, Roman Sionis. Marvel never kills off their villains, even though they keep so many of them as one-and-dones. I don't like one-and-done villains a lot, just because I, I hope to see a little bit more. But when it's done like this, I'm, I'm glad, because it's great. He's in, he's out, he gives a hell of a performance. I said my piece on Cassandra Kane. that's just an insult to anybody who likes that character. But when I watch this movie, I have fun with it. I go along with it. I smile, I laugh at a lot of the jokes. Yeah, it's amazing how engaged I get in spite of what it's doing that isn't well done. I think the good parts outweigh the bad. As was said earlier, I think the sum of the parts is better, and I enjoy it. It's it's crazy that I do, but I do. It's not a bad movie. It's not a great one. But I think coming after Aquaman, Shazam, and Joker, I think when you hold those three up to it, yeah, this movie was never going to live up to that. And I think maybe trying to do so is where they hurt themselves. But, like I said, I said it a couple times, I enjoy it. And like Matt, I had a score written down, and I was wavering whether or not I would stick to it. And I'm going to. And I give this movie a seven. When I left the theater years ago and I first saw it, I went, huh, I had a good time with that. And when the credits roll, I still think the same thing now. It's like, I have a good time. And sometimes that's all I want. Man, doesn't live up to Aquaman. I think it's at least as good as Aquaman. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to that one day. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this is one of those movies, and we're going to get to another one when we get to The Suicide Squad where it was a first-time watch for me. For me, comic book movies have become less event films for me. I do not go out of my way to see them anymore. Uh, Endgame, I think, was the last time I saw a comic book film in theaters. That was a while ago at this point. So I was not too excited to get into this film. And for a film that I have spent a lot of the plot summary, I've been knocking it a lot, but I did have a decent time with it. And that's the thing with this. Like The action in this movie is pretty darn fun. But when you start breaking down the plot, it really runs into issues. And someone like Tarantino in 94 could do the wraparound story okay. This movie does not do that very well, I don't think. It's not too cohesive. And I think a lot of that has to do, and I hate to say this, because I know she tried, we needed a better, a more seasoned director here to just get this story right. When it comes to the Cassandra Cain thing, that is something that kind of flies over my head. To you say uh, a, a pun for a bird film. <laughs> it just flies over my head. Like, I don't think about it that much. I don't have too big of an issue with what they do with that character. So on that end, I can still enjoy it. But man, these issues of plot and energy and lack thereof is a problem for me. I'm like you guys. I could have used more Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I think she's fun here. But Black Canary should have been a different person. I do not like that actress in that role. But overall, I did have a decent time. I'm not going to go as high as you guys. I went with a six. That's what I have written down here. Uh, Matt's original score. It's fun enough. But I watched it twice for this podcast. I don't know if I would watch it again. So six out of ten for me on Birds of Prey. But next week, we're going to get pretentious, boys. We're going to jump right into Zack Snyder's Justice League. 
Hashtag it. I have a lot of thoughts going in. Boys, let me get yours out of the way first. What are you guys thinking going into Zack Snyder's Justice League? I didn't think it was something that existed, and it didn't exist until, you know, they were hell-bent on having something else to launch with HBO Max. I was surprised. I, I, I didn't know what to believe. I did not think that it would be a completely different vision from what we got, knowing how much, you know, was already done with that original Justice League. So I remember watching it going, okay, you're, you know, you tell me it's different. Let's really see if it is. And just because it was four hours didn't mean that it was a different movie. And we'll discuss whether or not it is next week. You know, I reached the five stages of grief. I hit acceptance with the Snyder Cut, where I realized it was actually happening. The cultists were going to get their wish. And I would sit there and watch and say, okay, Zach, you're getting to fulfill what you wanted to make. And I don't want any excuses if this movie sucks. I didn't want him to have another out, like with the BBS Ultimate Cut versus Original Cut. If he was going to have completed carte blanche, then I wanted to see him at his apex and for him to do the best job possible that he could do. And I wanted it to be good. And then when I heard it was going to be four hours, I said, oh, fuck me. Because that, to me, sounded like, oh, I'm going to, to overcompensate the fact that BBS got axed. I'm going to make this as long as humanly possible so I can get every every piece of, of intel and data I want, I'm going to have in here. So my thought was, okay, to quote how I feel about the Jets this year, shut up and prove it. That was my mantra going into this movie. Same. I want to say the majority of things that I have to say about this film for next week because, goddamn, there are so many things to say about how it came about, how we actually finally got to see it, how it was bullied into basically being seen. But all that is coming next week. But, boys, I had a lot of fun talking Birds of Prey with you until we meet next week for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Psychologically speaking, podcasts rarely bring the catharsis that we hope for. Thanks, boys. Have they crossbows? Each member of the team is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. This is Christopher Smith, known as Peacemaker. In his hands, anything is a deadly weapon. His father was a soldier who trained his son how to kill from the moment he was born. Are you having a laugh? What? You just said each member of the team is chosen for their unique abilities. He does exactly what I do, but better. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast exclusively on Percolated Media. You think you can beat me? You're a fucking moron. Join us next week for an entirely new review. Unless we all want to die very unpleasant death, we're going to have to work together. And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts. Do I look like the kind of clown that could start a movement? The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Who are you guys? 
edited by Garrett. Fucking fabulous, if you ask me. Voiceovers by Adam. Okay, I'm waiting for the punchline. Retrospective podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. She goes to a club and... Oh, I'm sorry. I already mentioned that. We're then... We cut to Roman Sionis, who's interrogating Harley. And, you know, I know next week we're going to be talking about a lot of slow-mo. But it's just me. Does this movie have a lot of fucking slow-mo? <laughs> Are your notes correct? Because that's, like, not for another 30 minutes. Uh, yeah, I think so. Harley being captured? May, you know what? Maybe this did come up later, and I, and it just ended up on this part of my iPod, probably. That, that, that's much later, because the next thing is... The sandwich. All right, we're going to get to... The, the, yeah. All right, we're doing it. So... <laughs> you, you you cut your notes like to cut the yeah. movie. <laughs> Dinah ends up recruiting Dinah... Um, I'm sorry. Harley ends up recruiting Dinah. Harley ends up recruiting Dinah to... Uh, damn it. <laughs> sorry. Sionis ends up recruiting Dinah to... This cast's on a wrist. What happens to her? Like, I know we get... What, what is this character? What, what are they trying to do with this? Because I know that this is supposed to be Batgirl, right? They're trying to uh, piss Adam off is so, what they're trying so, to do with this character. So, Garrett, I think this is where you and I just go on mute and let Adam talk for the next... All right. uh, I think it'll be about as long as the Snyder Cut. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to shut my mouth and just listen. All right, mute time. <laughs> so, <laughs> So... We cut to Harley, who's being interrogated by Roman. Here we go. <laughs> There's where that line was. <laughs> wow, that was quite a ways away. Uh, we cut to Harley. 
Cassandra gets in on the apology act and says that she's sorry because she took Harley's ring, and this ends up being a grenade ring so that Harley, so that, man, I can't talk today, I just woke up. This ends up being a grenade ring. Ha <laughs> ha! 